Argun had attended our church for several years, but she often seemed distant and self-conscious. We had seen very little evidence of her spiritual life, but recently something changed. She joined a small group and started to participate more in the services. Unknown to us, during that same time period, God was working in the hearts of a couple who had visited us from overseas. They had prayed and asked God to lead them to a needy family with whom they could leave a gift to help them through the winter. We had suggested other families that had greater needs, but the couple was quite sure that God was prompting them to give to Argun. For various reasons, the gift was delayed. But in the end, the timing was perfect because of what God was doing in Argun's heart. She had said, the week before I received that gift, it was the first time I really cried out to God in prayer. And I had already been in the church for eight years. When the gift arrived, Argun was amazed. God heard my prayer and he answered my cry for help above and beyond what I expected. On the following Sunday, we were amazed by her boldness in testifying to God's goodness. When she stood up in the service, she looked like a changed person. Even her posture was different. In the past, she had often covered up the side of her face where a stroke had left her mouth crooked. This time she seemed unconcerned about appearance. By the end of her testimony, Argun was holding her Bible high above her head and preaching to all of us about how we needed to cry out to God and be ready to experience his gracious help. This family has put a fire in my house, she said, but God has put a fire in my heart. I will be reading Philippians 2, verse 14 to 18. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Really want you to be part of a life group, a hub, a triad, be connected to others. Hopefully you are. If you're not, we can help you move in that direction, maybe start something. We've got hubs meeting online. There's great things happening. God's doing some good stuff. You can be part of that. Maybe you already are. Reach out to us, office at kgfchurch.com. We'll help you uh, do that and get connected. Church, let's continue to be generous 
Are you contributing financially to our collective ministry? Let's keep doing that together as well. You can give online or in person at the office. Kids, here's what I would love for you to do today. Maybe your parents won't thank me for this, but I would love if you would make stars. You could gather material right now, get some paper, draw some stars, weave a star, Lego a star. I don't care. However, you can creatively come up with stars upon stars upon stars. Because today we're going to be talking about our lives shining like stars, just like uh, was read for us by Matthias. Thank you. And so make a ton of stars and then put them up around your house. Make your home uh, uh, a shining place of stars so that we are reminded this week, your household is reminded that that's who God makes us to be as his church, as his people. As always, we're headed toward a discussion starter. What is God asking you to work out these days? That's the question. What is God asking you to work out these days? We've been uh, moving our way through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we come uh, into the middle section of Philippians chapter 2 today, Philippians 2, 12 to 18. I've been reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis to some of my kids at night. There's an interesting and wonderful little scene. Peter and Susan meet with the professor because they're concerned that their sister Lucy is quite batty that she's losing it, going mad because of her reports of having been in another world, in Narnia. And the professor, of course, he leads them through a series of questions to deduce the situation. And in his frustration with Peter and Susan, the professor finally blurts out, why don't they teach logic at these schools? Logic. Does anybody use it anymore? In fact, when I googled logic, L-O-G-I-C. The first thing that came up was Sir Robert Bryson Hall II, who goes by the rapper stage name of Logic. Some of you might know him. I don't know him. Logic would dictate, wouldn't it, that if I type Logic into my computer, I would get introduced to a rapper. Enough said. That's not very logical. What is Logic? By definition, Logic is this. The study of correct reasoning, especially regarding making inferences, which maybe sounds complicated, but let's give an example. So here's an example of using logic. All spiders have eight legs, and black widows are a type of spider, and we'll see some of those in our area here, of course. What then does logic tell us about black widows? That they will have eight legs makes sense, right? When the professor in The Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe got frustrated with Peter and Susan, uh, he uses logic to lead them to a correct understanding of their sister. He says there are only three possibilities. Either your sister is telling lies, or she is mad, or she is telling the truth. And what do you know about her? What do you deduce and see about her that would lead you to the logical conclusion? In his great book, The Christian Mind, Harry Blameyers said this, we all get along very nicely with cranks. We are tolerant of rogues and criminals. But idealists, those people who insist on logically relating principle to practice, end to means, purpose to process, goal to route, we have no time for them. So in case you're thinking logic 
is only a problem for today. Harry Blameyers wrote that in 1963, and C.S. Lewis published The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in 1950. See, logic needs to be taught, because we tend toward being illogical, don't we, you and I? We all want the ends, but not necessarily the means, or we want the goal, but not necessarily the road to get there. You can say you want to play professional basketball, but if you never practice, you logically will not become a basketball player, no matter how much people say you can ever be whatever you want to be. We want our children to grow and become a mature blessing to the world. But we can shelter them from testing or challenges and insist that they get everything they want, when they want, and how they want it. Is that logical? Is it logical to say that getting everything that I want, when I want, will produce in me a mature, wise, generous way of life? Logic, you see, is used everywhere, or not. But increasingly, we can moan with the professor, don't they teach logic in these schools anymore? Now, all this helps us think today about the logic of the work of God in our lives. There is a logic to salvation. Paul had written to the Philippians right at the very beginning of the letter, chapter 1, verse 6. He says this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God sent Jesus into the world to save human beings from the power of sin and bring them into a new way of life evidenced in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, an eternal life that will never end. What do you think the logic of that is? Is it just so that you can have a ticket in your pocket for the day that you die or when Jesus Christ returns and the world is brought to judgment and accountability? Or is it that God sets those who turn from sin and turn their lives over to the lordship of he who has risen from the dead, that God sets them free from the power of sin so that they become transformed, a different kind of person, a part of a different kind of community in the world because there is a different way of life that is actually possible now. What do you think God's logic is? That leads us to Philippians, this passage, Philippians chapter 2, this passage that we're looking at. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. You'll see it on the screen. You can follow along or perhaps you have your Bible in front of you. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There are two types of work being described here. In verse 12, it's something that we work out, continue to work out your salvation. The Greek word there is the working out to the logical conclusion. It's what our job is. We work out something. But do you notice in verse 13, it says that it is God who works in you. He works something into us. The word there is different. It's energeo. 
That's the Greek word. It's energy. That's where that word comes from in English. It's the power which brings something from one stage to the next. It's like an electrical current, that power. God is the energy and doing a work in us for his good pleasure, for what is beneficial. And so God works a new life in us in salvation, and we work it out to its logical conclusion. Now, think about it this way. Some of you have an electric vehicle. You see electric vehicles increasingly around us. Kind of wish I'd have one. But there's a push toward electric vehicles these these days. It's coming from an energy at the systemic level that shows up in the working out of that in the practical. And so every car company is now working that out. And those who don't will eventually disappear into the history of business, the business history books. Or think about the shift that happened uh, from this. Anyone know what this is? Kids, do you have any idea what this is? This is a VHS. You can actually watch movies on this. When our kids watched VHS for the first time, they couldn't figure out why you had to rewind it. Okay, so, but there was a shift from VHS to DVD. And now, of course, we've moved right on to these types of things. We stream things. And so, same thing with this. What is this? This is a CD. What was before that? They were audio tapes, a different thing. Now, we're listening to music directly off of this thing. And so there's a shift that happens. And energy was working in a system, and suddenly a logical shift happened. And I, I have a memory of standing at a music in a music book in a music store, uh, deciding whether I would buy a tape or a CD. This was years ago. And it took me forever to decide which I was going to do. And for some strange reason, I decided on the tape instead of the CD. That was illogical because that system, the energy of that system was fading and a new energy was pushing something forward. And so we have to decide whether we will participate in the energy that is moving. That's something of what Paul is talking about here. And so God has worked his salvation into the world to work into our lives, our fellowship as a church family, and our wider community, the logic of salvation. Is it logical, for instance, if we say we are Christians and know that we're saved from sin by the humility and sacrifice of Jesus and not by our works or goodness or achievements, yet continue in pride, selfishness, and seeking to prove ourselves. Is that logical? Is it logical if we say we are the church to say we are the people of God's love in the world, in word and deed, and yet we fight and bicker amongst ourselves or not love our neighbors in the selfless way God himself loved the world? Is that logical? So we're working out what God has worked into us. This is why Paul is telling the Philippians to work out the salvation that God has worked into them with fear and trembling. That's quite an interesting way of thinking. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you 
something. That fear, that, that word is phobos, phobia. It's a withdrawal or a back away because of dread or fear. It's, it's trembling, it's shaking and quaking. In other words, we should back away with shaking from the old partnerships, from any way of life that is not God's way of being. That is not the logic of salvation. We should fear that we're not applying the logic of salvation to our lives. This is what should really scare us. Christians should be deeply concerned where the logic of what God has worked in us is not worked out in our living. This should lead to a deep assessment of what it means to be the church. What is the logic or energy of God's saving work that we are to work out? What does our new partnership in the gospel and the spirit, as Paul has been talking about it in Philippians, look like? Well, let's continue. Verse 14. Uh, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Whoa. Did you catch that? Maybe read it again, okay? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. It's quite a word, isn't it? Paul's instructing the Philippians, do all things without grumbling, without muttering or murmuring. Verse 14, do all things without this grumbling, this arguing, this questioning, this disputing. The the sense there is of a back and forth reasoning that is self-based and therefore confused, especially as it contributes to bringing others into the initial prejudice and warped way of thinking that we're stuck on, where we're arguing for our way. But the context you see is not individual, though we as individuals are involved. The context is the community of Christ followers who are to be the church. We are living out the mind of Christ, the humility of Christ together. Even though we're participating with one another in this way right now, we are still working out the mind of Christ in community as a people. We are a community of the resurrection working out together the logic of salvation. And this does not happen through muttering and grumbling, which is usually focused on maintaining my own logic or ideas, right? If I'm muttering or complaining or I'm ready to argue with you, generally it's because I'm stuck on my logic. No, you see what Paul is saying? We are working out God's saving work as a people. With fear and trembling, we're backing away from the logic of the world and asking, what does it mean for us as a people to look more and more like Jesus in this? We are to look like God's family. 
We're to look like God's children, shining like stars. And hopefully, kids, the stars are starting to be produced by you. We are to live like God in the world. When people see Christians, they should see something of what God is like. This is the logic of salvation. What do God's kids look like? Well, for that, we should just simply go back a few verses to that great central song in Philippians, verses 5 to 11 of chapter 2, of, to see how Jesus, God the Son, lived and worked out his identity in humility and obedience to the will of Father, of the Father, not seeing his identity as something to be used for his own advantage. His life could shine like the light of the world. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that you, his disciple, are the light of the world because Jesus didn't murmur or dispute with the Father. He worked out his identity. And this brought resurrection and exaltation and life to the world. It brought life to you and I. What hope is the church to the world if our way of being, our practical outworking of our faith results in murmuring and selfish dispute? The power and energy of salvation has entered our world and this community because the power in us is the Holy Spirit. And so we work it out. We learn not to be a crooked and twisted group of people in our time anymore. It's a very strong word that Paul is saying toward the end of chapter 14. So that we can be children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. The Greek word there is scolios, like scoliosis. If you have a family member or know somebody who has scoliosis, it's a, it's a bent or a crooked spine. Take a look at this picture. Uh, a, a family in our church, the Davidsons, have this wonderful and massive wooden hippo. One time we were at their place and uh, Jill Davidson told me this story. Jill, hopefully you're paying attention. Jill told me the story of how this, this wonderfully handcrafted African piece of art had a huge crack in it. And Jill talked about how her, her dad uh, reintroduced humidity to it and the humidity, the power of something from outside working into the wood completely healed the crack. So the crookedness of that hippo was completely healed, turned into what it was meant to be. We are working out the blameless and pure wholeness that God has worked into us. God has introduced a power and an energy, his salvation into us, and now we are becoming whole. And grumbling and arguing is a crooked way not the logic of the God who works salvation on the cross. And then Paul says, listen, as you hold, verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. In Genesis chapter one, in John chapter one, we hear of God speaking. In the beginning was the word, says John chapter one. Genesis one, God speaks and creation and life happen. God is the one who speaks life into being and he still speaks. His word is to be logically embodied and put into practice. 
kids, when your mom speaks and she says, please do the dishes, and you follow the logic of her word and put it into practice, you become the embodiment of her word, right? When you're at the sink doing the dishes or drying the dishes, you are now the embodiment of the word that your mom spoke. And God speaks life. He speaks what is best. He speaks shalom, wholeness into the world. And this is what we are to hold fast to. We're to make it our mark. We're to stay on our mark like a, like a runner waiting for the gun to shoot at, the, at that starting line. That is that holding fast, staying in position. We hold fast. We mark and notice the word of life among us and we are coming out of a crooked and a twisted generation, which is like a, a multitude of human beings living at the same time. That's the generation, right? That's, we're a part of a generation. And so we have to hold to the word of life that transforms the deadness of the life we once lived and held on to, the crookedness like that wooden hippo once had. You know, the problem is not going to be with the word, the problem is going to be with us. It's going to be with me. There's a legend of monks in the Middle Ages who discovered a scroll of the New Testament in their monastery. And it was all dusty and they, they dusted it all off, blew it off and started to unro unroll it and begin to read what the New Testament said because it had been forgotten and lost even though they were monks. And they come to this conclusion that as they read, they say, either these are not the Gospels or we are not Christians. That is actually the work of every generation of Christians. We should always receive God's word as heaven's logical correction on our illogical living. Are you holding fast to the word of life? Have you set a place yet for prayer, scripture, and acts of faith and obedience to what God says to you. We set the table here early in January to call us to this King's Feast where we set a place and we set a table, set a, set a space in our life every day for prayer and scripture, acts of faith and obedience to what God says, like our goon story that we read or watched together earlier on. Or have you set the word of life aside? Just Set it aside. If we don't like what God speaks, we can be tempted just to set it aside. It's actually quite easy to do that. Set it aside like a doctor's suggestion on how to steward your body better. If you go to the doctor, you have a physical, the doctor might say, you need to avoid some of these foods or, or you're going to shorten your life. And we might respond by, hey, I, I like donuts. So I will listen to the sweet, succulent seduction of Tim Horton before I listen to you, Dr. Know-it-all. Well, that's absurdity. It's, it's stupidity. Yet many of us treat God's word like that. What have we heard God speak to us as a community? What have you heard God speak to you as an individual? God's word. And then our conversation around that word shows us how to live. He gives us the power to live it. And if we set it aside because we don't like what God says about how to steward our lives better, 
financially or sexually or relationally, it is illogical because his power in us by the Spirit is logically moving in the direction of wholeness and abundant life. The power of God, the word of life at work within us is life. What God has worked into us, we are to work out to its logical conclusion because this is our good God's good pleasure. He has our best in mind and his saving work in the world requires a people who shine like stars and live this new logic, this new resurrected reality. If we've chosen to dispute with God and not hold fast to the word of life, then we are really not living the logical Christian life. We're no different than someone who goes to the doctor, receives direction on how to steward a more healthy way of life that courses through their veins and says, heck no, it's donuts and sexual promiscuity and heavy drinking and Netflix binging and bags of bacon-drenched snacks and not dealing with my stress and trauma for me. That's the way for me. Does that make any logical sense? Do they teach logic in these schools anymore? God has saved us. What we were powerless to do, powerless to defeat the sin and destruction that gripped us, God utterly destroyed on the cross and in the resurrection. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 11. This is the energy of heaven worked into us. He has worked into you what is impossible through religion or do-gooding or reading all the books on Oprah's book list. God has worked salvation into us. So that salvation, true eternal life, can be worked out through your mortal body. And now we have the privilege of being the community the family of God, who are learning to work this out together. What is God working out of you? Sorry. What is God working out of you that are the remnants of the old crooked life? What is he working out of us? In a few weeks, we're going to collaborate with a sister church here in the city, on a set-free retreat, sign up for it. It's a way for you to recognize some of these crooked places and invite the logic of God's work to go deeper and further. We hold fast to the word of life and we wrestle together to be the church that shines like stars. We are the body becoming fit in the way God intended humanity to flourish. And this is what This is what Paul himself is saying to the Philippians about his own journey. Look at how he ends this section, verse 17. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul has found out that working out his salvation as a former religious legalist and violent persecutor is now being worked out as a humble servant, being willing to suffer and even die for the sake of Christ, being brought to life in the lives of the Philippian Christians in a Roman colony. 
This, you see, is the improbable, holy logic and power of salvation. It takes the most unlikely, even the darkest and most conflicted, even the most despairing people like you and I, and turns them into children of God who shine like stars, light in the world. This is the divine current of salvation that God has put into you and into us. This is the power at work within us. And now we have some logical work to do. Perhaps as we've been plunging into this word of life together today, it's becoming a word of life for you. It's, there's something awakening in you. And I just wonder if we could pause and maybe you just need to hold out your hands like this. And let's just sit in silence for a second and let the Holy Spirit speak. God, you still speak. You call us into full and abundant life. This is your good pleasure. It's your good purpose that we would see a working out in our lives, in our relationships, in our city, or wherever we find ourselves today, that you, there would be a working out of the power and salvation you have worked into us, which we could never have done. God, we need your help because it's really easy to be illogical. Would you give us the power by your spirit to take the step you're showing us to take right now that we may honor you and see your life lived out in the small places that you've put us, that you may shine brightly for your glory. Amen. So we come to our question, and we really hope that you process this with others. This is why we want you connected in a hub with other people, some type of way that you're processing this in community, because that's what will bring change to your life and be a blessing to this city. Listen, here's the question. What is God asking you to work out these days? What is God asking you to work out these days? There's onion layers of process that Jesus takes us through as we become more and more whole, more and more logical in the living out of what he's worked into us. What is God asking you to work out these days? Let's do the work together and be a blessing 